Queer Relation Tips, an IM Clinic podcast devoted to helping you, the LGBTQ community, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Today's guest speaks with such clarity and depth that not only comes from their brilliance, but from walking hand in hand with suffering and sorrow, to reference one of my favorite books, Heinz Feet in High Places. There are some people who are just born with this wise sage integrated into the core of who they are. This person is nearly 10 years younger than me and like a million years more developed than me. I just find this person's insight and their depth to be so refreshing and stabilizing, even for the parts of me that still have questions and the parts of me that feel like I'm never going to figure life out. I am just enamored with the work this person is doing on the planet and the spoken word that they use. You'll enjoy it at the end of today's episode. Today's guest, I am utterly in awe of your depth and your bravery and so thankful for your ability to be gentle as you teach us how to be better humans. Jamie and I had a wonderful time talking with today's guest. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did. Let's take a listen. Well, we kind of wanted to, um, I think as a Latinx person, um, gender non-conforming, sometimes gender non-binary, depending on the day, like just really interested to hear from other people, um, other people of color from the queer community and kind of like what their experience has been. Because I feel like we walk a very particular path. And of course, Jamie has their own um, way of introing themselves and talking about gender. Um, but I think it's, there's so many ways, like being a Latinx therapist with a master's degree is just, there's so many ways that I feel so odd in the world. Um, and, and ways that because of that, I feel beautiful and special and so I just kind of wanted to spend time with you and just kind of see what it's like for you and your journey and kind of the ways you find your identities integrating so yeah well as a black trans non-binary person um yeah, it actually, my gender journey actually took me quite a, quite a long time, longer than it took me to, like, process my sexuality. Um, and I think a lot of that just came from, like, not having access to representation, really. Um, I didn't grow up with cable. Um, and, like, I don't remember what channel the L word was on, but it wasn't on whatever we had, you know, like there wasn't really a lot of like queer representation in television when I was a kid. And I, yeah, just like, I feel like as a, as a black person, I feel like one of the things that was most difficult for me in trying to parse through my gender identity was that I was sexualized from a very young age by people around me. Mm. Um, So I I didn't really understand exactly like that that was part of what was making me so uncomfortable. 
um, and like experiencing a lot of dysphoria and just like just general anxiety and uneasiness as a kid um, but that was definitely something that looking back I can say like that really had a profound impact on how I perceived my own gender mm-hmm. um, and perceived the power of clothing yeah I don't know if that really answers or if that's like a good like starting point but that's kind of what came to me thinking about that mm-hmm. do you want to share a little bit about yourself Jamie kind of give some context oh sure yeah it's so nice to meet you <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you too. Um, Isaac and I went to graduate school together, and um, I started working for IAM Clinic um, about a year and a half ago, um, and I'm really passionate in working with the LGBTQ community, um, and I identify as gender non-binary, um, and I think kind of that that process really started emerging for me, you know, a few years ago, and um, and I, I think it was really liberating and I connect to a lot of similar things that you're sharing. Obviously it's a different journey in many ways, but um, I think for me, it was just this, this realization that, oh, I, I didn't have those, that language growing up. I would have probably um, understood myself a lot better in terms of the way that um, I functioned in the world. If there was like kind of at least a third orientation available at the very least, if not more. <laughs> Um, and so I think what was kind of big for me in that process was just, um, you know, understanding that, uh, either body type would feel like very much at home for me. Um, and, um, you know, the, just that sense of kind of having, you know, both substances poured into the same glass. Um, and it was really liberating to be able to kind of have that integration come to the forefront for me. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I really appreciate everything that you just shared as well. And um, I'm super um, uh, interested just kind of in how it emerged for you, like this awareness of all of your identities. But, um, you know, as you're talking about gender specifically right now, like how the, how and when that kind of emerged for you. And I was also struck when you talked about the power of clothing, um, which I also find, um, you know, really interesting walking in the world as a non-binary person. So if you don't mind, you can share a little bit more about that. I'd love to hear. Yeah, sure. I mean, I first got language to talk about gender in a more expansive way as a high schooler on Tumblr. Um, Mm. So that was actually the first place where I, like, came out gender-wise. Um, was just on the internet with my friends that I only talked to on the internet because not very many of my friends in like the the real world were into Tumblr at the time so it felt safer and yeah but I remember it was really hard for me to kind of come to the realization that like I, I did identify some sometimes more masculine um just like having not but not having grown up really around very many men or like people who Mm. identified that way who I trusted or who I felt like were good role models for me um so I kind of just like put it on like the back burner and was like I'll deal with this eventually but like right now I'm just trying to get through high school 
Sure. But I, I've always really loved clothing. I remember like when I first started to pick out like the clothes that I wanted to wear to school, I, I, I have like this like perfect image in my head of like me, like maybe 11, like wearing some like cargo shorts and like, mm. I thought that like the striped like fake rugby shirts from Old Navy, I was like, this is the coolest shit actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually the coolest looking kid in second fifth grade. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, I like, I remember I, I, a lot of my confidence um, would come through from my clothing. I was, I was a pretty, introverted person and still am so like I, I like to think that like my clothes say something for me mm-hmm. I love fashion like I, I love studying it I I like if you show me a piece of clothing I could probably guess which designer made it like I love it <laughs> and I find this juxtaposition and I, I'm gonna just be kind of vulnerable um, because I think this is part of my jo- own gender identity where I still um, feel kind of almost novice like I I so I'll just describe it I feel mm-hmm. like as a therapist and part of my whole journey as coming out in the religious context I did was really trusting not only um it was trusting what my body was telling me but then there was like this direct result like looking at a female yeah okay maybe kind of attractive (laughs) but then looking at a male it was like whoa and then my body Mm -hmm. responded like my heart would increase or whatever it might be and that was really reliable but I think sometimes with gender it's um for me when I wear clothing it helps pull out the feminine or the masculine but I think sometimes it's harder for me to trust it's harder for me to trust the internal experience because it's not so act like actualized. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like clothing plays a big part. And I feel sometimes is that trustworthy? Mm. Because I put so much emphasis on like um how do I as a therapist like internal worth and inherent value and it's uh it feels like a false positive to to feel my body resonate with the clothing that I'm wearing but it shouldn't be (laughs) (laughs) so if you guys could give me your Mm. experience with that but like the reliability or the trusting nature of clothing Mm. Hmm. I think for me what that brings up is a lot of the 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 discord that I feel walking through the world doesn't actually come from like internal dysphoria it comes from other people's perception of me right like like I present I like I I present differently at different times but like I I do enjoy you know like wearing a nice sundress and I do and it's like super fucking hot like today <laughs> but it's like the way that I feel wearing whatever piece of clothing is not necessarily 
how other people see me wear that clothing think of me. Like I, I remember I had a I had a a moment in 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 a class a, a, a while back where I realized that my classmates were were not using he and they for me. They were using only they. And and if I was ever presenting in a more like feminine way, then I was just it was just like my pronouns didn't exist at all. Mm-hmm. And it's like that weird invisibilizing that happens because of other people's perception, you know? Like it's like my internal like my internal identity is stable even though my outward presentation is like flexible fluid whatever but like i feel like what's been a struggle for me is like realizing just like just how like ingrained that is even in communities that you know want to be more affirming or be more supportive Mm-hmm. yeah so well said thank you <laughs> I, I always find anytime talking about um you know these these kinds of things with other people it's it's just healing in its own way just you know um I I think this is like one of the things I've actually had a lot of um process and struggle with it was interesting when I first started coming out because a lot of times people the first question that they would ask me was actually more like so are you going to start to dress more masculine and um like not really I mean I kind of dress a little bit more in the in-between anyway but for me like it was a fascinating concept and in some ways I resonate and maybe this is how I interpreted what you were saying uh Zeb was that there was still a binary, right? It was kind of like, I'm coming out as trans non-binary, meaning like I'm pretty like comfy in like a, a transitional middle that like kind of, you know, takes different forms depending on, um, you know, where I'm at on a regular basis. But um, I think the expectation was somehow that I would cross over, right? To another side or show some, some or somehow present differently. And, um, and I, I think, it was just sort of an interesting concept of people, you know, really wanting there to be some kind of cue, right, Um, that helps them to know or have a recognizing, you know, factor around my differing identity, and, um, and I do think it's a, it's a fascinating process, too, in terms of how we present, because um, I would never, ever say that um, the pain or the loneliness that I've experienced sometimes would be the same as someone who's going through the process of trying to pass and is really struggling because they actually do want to present as like another gender completely. Um, and, but I think that the, the pain and the loneliness does come in some ways from the invisibility because there's not really a way to present as both at the same time, or at least I haven't found a way to do that. (laughs) Um, and it's led to a lot of really interesting internal processes. And I really, I really, uh, agree with that with what both of you said around the internal is stable right but then there's kind of this externalizing factor that feels a little less stable um and and just how quickly um 
you know, it's, it's a, it's a difficult process, right? And it's uh, been a challenge for me even sometimes to correct people uh, just because this was such an internal integration for me that I kind of almost don't want it to always be a thing, but people mess up a lot on my pronouns. Um, and it's just been a fascinating process of feeling so much more aware and connected to my internal self, but feeling a little bit of a, a you know, disconnect, um, you know, with the external world in a way that I hadn't really connected with before. So I, yeah, and I have a lot of beef about all of that too, just because, <laughs> you know, I also realized the privilege of being in a female body that when I dress in a way that would be culturally masculine in our society, like there's no, um, like kind of like pathologizing of that, right? But um, if my husband, for example, were to like show up to work wearing a skirt or something, people would raise an eyebrow and wonder about that. And it's like, why, you know, why does that have to be the indication? Um, you know, and he doesn't identify as non-binary, right? But why isn't he allowed to, you know, to do that? So anyway, I feel like I'm going on too long, but this is obviously like <laughs> something that I find very interesting and, and struggle with. And even things like, you know, how I wear my hair and what am I wearing today? And does that actually feel like it represents my internal world, um, very well. And it's an interesting process when it's both. So. I think part of it for me is the idea that clothing can come across as contributing to vanity and then saying mm -hmm. you know if this piece of clothing that I wear can categorize me as vain then is it also unreliable to trust it as an expression of my gender mm -hmm. am I explaining that well like if it if you're got, could you sorry could no, you ahead. speak more about like what you mean by vanity? Yeah, so something like um, if I'm wearing a t-shirt, it's like a it's a chill day, right? Like I'm gonna clean my bathroom and organize my refrigerator. But <laughs> then if I put on a crisp button up, it means I'm gonna go to a fancy restaurant. And I I feel like um, or like if someone were to say I'm wearing a Dolce and Gabbana shirt this somehow means that I'm better than someone who's wearing a button up from Target. Obviously that's not true, but I think some people hold clothing as a, as a symbol of vanity. And then to, in a sense say, is it vain then for me to use clothing to feel different in one sense as better than someone else, but then in another sense as gender non-binary I'm answering my own question as I'm talking about this but I feel like there's a, a hesitance to use clothing as an expression of gender because it's felt associated with the vanity piece in my head for whatever that's worth <laughs> but then I flip the coin and I think because I do love fashion it's an incredible way of expressing what's on the inside and I guess part of my my rationale here is are there other ways we can express gender if not with clothing because it feels more sacred than just using clothing as a way of expression mm -hmm. that's I think what I'm trying to explain I resonate with that a lot um I think it's kind of the idea of like internal versus external regulation and in a lot of ways and I think you brought this in when you first asked the question was like especially in our field or in the 
in the world there's that sense of um you know um almost kind of like um really looking more toward like how are you internally regulating right how is your internal world telling you about yourself how are you able to like process through that and so then um you know lots of things around external regulation are labeled like superficial or materialistic or you know all of these negative terms and um and so it's an interesting process when you're kind of going through an internal awareness of how you experience gender but wanting to express that externally it's kind of like this like um internal like it's a battle right where you're kind of like but i'm internally regulated i don't need this to external i don't need this to regulate my gender I don't need to use clothes to regulate my gender, but I'd like to use them to express it. Um, that is something I, I resonate with and struggle with a lot myself um, in many different ways. And there's, it's taken a lot of different forms, right? Where it's like, what am I trying to say when I do, when I wear this? And do I feel comfortable wearing this today? You know, that kind of idea. Um, you know, if I wear something that's almost too feminine, that feels kind of weird to me because even though I like how it looks, it doesn't feel like it represents my internal world. And then I get annoyed that that's the case and that something that looks that way could have that kind of power to like, you know, um, influence what I choose to do. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's kind of what you were getting totally. at. But. Yeah, because I feel like there might be a day where I'm wearing, I don't know, a flannel, right? and boots it's winter or whatever and mm -hmm. i feel like the the femme part of me is such a gift to the world that it drives me crazy that people would assume i don't bring that beautiful femme part with me exactly and i feel almost like i'm betraying my gift mm -hmm. if i'm using the wrong clothing and then i get angry that it's all the perception is based on what i'm wearing yes yeah I mean, like, I think that there, I feel like that, or at least the way that that shows up for me is a lot of, like, conversation around, like, safety, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not actually safe to wear whatever you want whenever you want. Yeah. Especially, like, me as, like, hmm. a, a relatively, like, short Black person, like, people think I'm a teenager all the time, mm. and, like, talk to me any kind of way you know like it can get really slippery for me when I'm presenting them if I'm not pitching my voice up because men are shit mm. uh, a lot of the time but like I feel like for me I don't really like to think about the word vanity when associated with clothing because I think especially for like a lot of young black and brown queer trans folks who like you know may not have grown up with with a lot of stability like clothes is like the one thing that you can like no one can take your style from you you know like that is that is like something that can't be policed you know like yeah like like black children in a park laughing getting told by white white moms to like be quiet like blah 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 mm -hmm. or like people like to say the shittiest things about you know how black and brown women and femmes like to do their hair or mm -hmm. 
at our nails or put on makeup or not put on makeup. Like, I feel like there's so much that is, like, taken as, like, an indicator of your worth associated with, like, your physicality as a Black person that, like, I'm really, I'm really hesitant to call any, any acknowledgement and, like, you know, celebration in the face of that, I'm not going to call that vanity. I love that reframe. Mm-hmm. I think it, for me, it comes from the idea that I was better off staying small. And so anything flashy felt like I was betraying my role. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I feel like it just plays into this false narrative of like, oh, well, if you act A, B, C, or you do X, Y, Z, then nothing bad will happen to you, you know? And it's like that those rules, at least for me, are a lot of times passed down by, by, by family members or elders or like people who care about you, but like they know and you know that like, you could do all of those things and anything could still happen to you. It's like a false sense of control. I agree. There's, um, like, I always say this because I think it's a good way of orienting, but I'm very small. <laughs> and I felt like I can wrap my fingers around my ankles. And then I think about, like, wearing my favorite green tunic um, as a dress. And going to King Super, a grocery store that we have here in Denver, King Supers, and thinking like, if I wear this, like, I'm afraid that I'm just going to get beat up. Like, I would love to express my gender, but I'm afraid to actually wear this thing in public, you know, and that's, I think that's one of the things that keeps me most hesitant more than anything. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. I wanted to take a moment to let you know about a unique opportunity Queer Relationships is offering. Over the past 10 years, I've sat with people and couples and walked them through some pretty difficult times. We all want thriving lives, but creating the love lives and relationships we crave is a journey and Queer Relationships wants to help you on that journey. We're accepting inquiries from those who want to come on the show and sit with the therapist and gain some insight into their struggles. Whether that's helping you find peace with your identity, ways to emotionally handle an unsupportive or critical family, help getting past roadblocks in your sexual relationships, or maybe ways to save your relationship that you fear is headed for disaster, we're here to help. For more information about how to become a guest, visit www.iamclinic.org forward slash queer hyphen relationships. That's iamclinic.org forward slash queer hyphen relationships. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the show. I'm kind of curious um, from both to kind of hear from both of you. How has um, the how have your different orientations, you know, and maybe it's just focusing right now on the on your gender orientation or whatever, whichever way it is that you want to go. Um, how, how has that impacted the relationships in your life? And also, you know, when you're forming new relationships, friends, you know, if there's romantic partners, like any of that kind of stuff, how's that? 
Yeah, I think for me, it's, um, I always say it this way because it, I think it gives a lot more context, but I always say in my sexual orientation, I identify as bisexual, but culturally I identify as gay. Mm-hmm. Because I think that delineates for me this idea that I might, I, I doubt it, but I could have been um, partnered with a, a woman. But I would not have wanted to live in the heterosexual culture, mm. if that makes sense. Because I just, I feel like then I would stereotypically be more inclined to be forced to talk with men who want to talk about sports at a family get together, you know, or whatever. But to be partnered with a man then means I get to still feel at home in my gay culture. Mm. Um, so I think that that really predicts the way that I create friends and the type of friends that I choose to surround myself with because I'm more comfortable in that gay culture. Um, Yeah. I think that's maybe one way that I see it happening for me. Makes sense. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I guess I would say like gender identity, the way my gender identity has impacted my relationship um I grew up in a very culturally conservative like context um and um any acts of like gender transgression that I did as a as a child or young person I was like very much punished for um and not even always understanding that that was the, the source of the the punishment was the gender transgressing. Um, but I would say that like in the past couple of years, um, I don't know. I, I don't really know how it's impacted my relationships. Like, like I don't know how it impacts the other person in the relationship, but it has like mm-hmm. been a big strain on my relationship with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like uh, I'm not I'm not close to very many people in my in my um, family of origin, um, but the ones I am close to often don't really get the pronoun or the name necessarily. Um, but it it feels like uh, like yeah it hurts but like it's okay you know it's like I would rather have this connection than nothing. Um, I guess that's kind of been um how I've looked at relationships in the past like I'd rather have this than nothing um and that has been not great I think another piece of it for me is like um I really try to seek out like I love New York City and I think for me I try to seek out more cosmopolitan people because I feel like um all of the various parts of my being i feel more safe when i know that someone is coming from a more cosmopolitan paradigm because then i get to be like a a latinx person who's educated who's also queer because sometimes here in denver it's really easy to find the people like the the cisgender straight white person who won't be able to um, respect or see the various parts of me 
And so it gets really uncomfortable trying to like code switch. And mm -hmm. after 36 years, almost 37, mm -hmm. I get, I, you know, I just get so tired of only being educated Isaac in certain places or only being mm -hmm. um, masculine Isaac in, in others. And it's like, it just gets, uh, because I am so in love with who I am, it just feels like I hate leaving out parts of, of myself in the car to code switch when I'm in certain paradigms, you know? So I think that's, that really affects the way that I, I'm constantly maybe even subconsciously assessing and kind of scanning relationships to say, am I truly, am I, my totality truly welcome here? Mm -hmm. Or do I have to leave a part of me out or teach someone about part of who I am? And that just gets kind of old after a yeah. while. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that phrase resonates of scanning relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a, a really good phrase for how it feels sometimes to kind of figure out, right, is this is this a situation where I do come out or I don't come out? Um, if I do come out, how much energy do I need to put into the education around that? Um, and then also, um, you know, how how much, you know, what what, what happens kind of afterward, right? And um, yeah, it's been an interesting process for me. It has put some tension in relationship and relationships that are still really, really good and really, really positive or have been some of my best, you know, support systems. Um, it's elevated other relationships, like in my marriage, it's elevated my relationship, I would say. My, my husband probably is one of the um, absolute best people at sharing, at using my pronouns and also asking about my experience on a regular basis, um, which I'm really, really thankful for. Um, but then there's been a lot of people where it's just sort of almost like a burden, right, for them to use my pronouns. Um, or um, it feels like there's a lot of kind of forgetting and then I have to kind of gauge that, right? Do I bring it up? Do I not bring it up? How much do I push this? Um, and lots of friends where it's kind of like I came out to them and there's a little bit of the, okay, not a big deal, but still not really addressed, um, not really curious. And I think that's been interesting too. It's like, I've learned a lot about how healing curiosity can be um, in the right context when people actually ask questions. Like I'm newly a mother now and, um, you know, just even having people ask questions around like, what is that like for you as a non-binary person is super rare, super rare. But when it happens, it's really healing. And when people use my pronouns correctly, that's also really healing. Like it actually literally feels like soothing to like my internal person um, in a way that was really, you know, surprising to me when I first came out. And so that's actually increased this interesting dynamic of people who are normally very like soothing or healing for me, but aren't in that area, right? Cause they are not utilizing my pronouns <laughs> on a regular basis. And a lot of times not on purpose, right? It really is like their brain is just having a super hard time with it. But um, yeah, so it's, it was just an interesting thing I was curious about and I appreciate both of you sharing on that level too. So um, we went to seminary as well. That's where our master's degrees are from. And I'm really excited for you especially in what you're doing, like just, you know, like Broderick Greer um, in, in the work that he's doing. Like, I, I feel like to be queer 
person of color in a religious space is, it's incredible. Um, I was guest lecturing at a class not too long ago and um, it was a, a trans person who had grown up in Christian household and then left Christianity. And one of the questions they asked and they were very angry was why would you support anybody, a queer person who stays in a system that's oppressive? And they were referring to a gay Christian. And it, the, the anger really caught me off guard and I totally get why the anger was there, but I didn't say this in front of the class, but I do think that there is something to be said about reformation, about claiming what is, uh, claiming what is important and staying to fight to protect it for other people and to, to reform it in a way that it's safe for generations to come. And I think that that's one of the most beautiful pieces. So mm -hmm. I'm excited to see where you go. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. If there was a black trans kiddo um, who might be thinking of seminary or coming out or, um, moving into spaces to, to better themselves that might be antagonistic or unwelcoming or just flat out prejudice. What, what have you learned about your own courage or your own strength that they might need to know about themselves? Don't let anybody treat you like you don't deserve to be where you are. Mm. And you deserve to take up space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because the cis hat white dudes who are going to be in all your classes have no problem with raising their hand to give a 12 minute tangent when they didn't even read the book. So that means mm. that you are so much more important than some stupid fucking grade. Mm. Just keep it pushing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And high school is not the the the, the end of the world. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's actually not. The rest of life is not like high school. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Sounds like that advice is in some ways still kind of resonating and you're like kind of using that you know like come on you could do it <laughs> yeah one more step and i would also say like don't trust anybody who says they have it all figured out mm. because nobody does nobody knows what the <laughs> fuck they're doing not a single fucking person knows what they're doing that is some good advice, actually. <laughs> like, I, I mean, all of it, but that is like right at the core. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Mm -hmm. No program is going to fix your life. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a very compassionate equalizer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of I love what you're saying here because I feel like in my, in my uneducated background, right? Like uneducated. 
Um, my mom was illiterate until she was 21 and my dad dropped out of high school and then later got his GED um, through the GI Bill as a Marine. And so my parents are incredibly brilliant people without the formal academic training. And so we in my family, I grew up in many ways learning how to love and loving so well mm. and then entering academia and then becoming a business owner and feeling so incredibly inadequate and then to say but but what i know of my collectivistic latinx family and how we know how to love deserves to be it's a lesson for the world and I love this idea of like, take up space. You know, like I deserve to be here. Maybe this, the lessons that I bring from my culture are, are maybe what I'm here to disseminate in a sense. And to really have learned to feel confident in that message, in being a business owner who is bringing a different dynamic, a therapist who's teaching a different skill set from my culture, I think is, um, it's, it's been liberating because we live in an individualistic society mm -hmm. and to bring that collectivistic approach to relationships, um, I feel like would change the world. And I, I, I guess I kind of find myself wondering what is it to you, Phil, that needs more space or, or you're proud that it has taken up so much space I mean, honestly, I think I think the thing that I bring to conversations and to spaces is we cannot, as as a as a people, continue to refuse to acknowledge our trauma, mm. and we can we can't keep refusing to process it either or name it. Like, if we really want to walk through the door that's being presented where, like, on the other side, things are not, this is the worst that it got. If this is going to be the worst that it gets, we have to, we have, there's a whole lot of shit we're going to have to talk about. Mm -hmm. A lot, a lot of shit we have to talk about. Mm -hmm. And I think the, I think that what I bring is that you can have a very, complex relationship to your trauma and it doesn't mean that you survived wrong mm. or that you somehow deserve whatever happened and you're also not the only one mm -hmm. just like we can't you know like I feel like that's kind of what this first year of seminary has been for me like one of the last papers I wrote was on um just kind of like a reflection on how ridiculous I find it that so many of the the the, the philosophers who are considered the classics, how we never talk about the fact that these people universally support pederasty as just like a way of like initiating oneself as a as a citizen as like a wealthy elite powerful member of society you know like we we invisibilize trauma 
not just in our own lives, but in the lives of the people that we say we look up to. Mm-hmm. And and when we do that, we we like we just cheapen everything, you know? Like you can't just you can't just pick and choose mm-hmm. to break the art from the artist like a million times a fucking day. Like if an artist is a rapist, then they are a rapist. If a candidate is a rapist, he's a rapist. Mm-hmm. Right. The courage that you have to make those conversations and to take up that space is so palpable. Mm-hmm. I know people won't see this because they're only going to hear the audio, but like as I'm watching you, the thing that I, the word that comes to mind is like warrior. Like, mm-hmm. And I'm glad that you're taking up this space because it needs to be occupied. You do have a way of really um, speaking with power, but also invitation. And I think that's um, pretty amazing, actually. Um, There's a powerful message, but I also feel drawn in and welcome to engage. Um, And I feel like that's really rare. Um, and I know that it's, it's, it really comes from a lot of the things that, you know, at least from how it, it comes across to me, a lot of the things that you've had to go through yourself, but there's a, a, um, a way in which at least I experience you in the short time I've gotten to meet you. Um, that's just very, uh, compassionate and still wanting to connect even when it's hard. Thank you. So, Thank I you. I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but do you have a poem nearby that you'd like to read? Uh, let's see. <laughs> okay. This is a treat. I always like, <laughs> when I met you in New York, I was like, more, I want more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> okay, well, I actually have, uh, I, I wrote, I rewrote um, A Mourner's Kaddish. I'm Jewish, and um, this prayer is said um, after someone has died, and also like um, in community with people who are mourning. Mm. Um, and uh, a lot of the translations that you see online are like super masculine, um, and I kind of wanted to return to like this like embodied feminine like mystical aspects of of god um so i'll just read this kaddish may the textures of the divine the breadth of her souls be ever exalted may she be praised her feet warmed in my lap may the world she created where we feed each other, where we sleep in the grass without worrying, where medicine flowers coax feeling true as honey ripen. May the sense of its skin elicit desperation. May I never cease longing for the shadow in the hollow of her throat, somehow strongest as the fragrant taste of her salt. Mm. Her minerals, 
her metal and all other matter, past my lips, the smolder on the velvet of my tongue. Anticipated, awaited, edified, adored, mm. adorned, precious holy one. Behind the beyond, there is another. Beneath what is said, there is a cellar. Between all you. May sound sweet never be a stranger. Weaver, spinner, needle guard. Patch the scorched flesh of my palms. You are the sweet smoke clinging to my robes. <laughs> oh, thank you for that. You're very welcome. Mm, I just feel like you're in such the right place. I, I hope that your studies will produce some great work, but I just feel like your skill set and, and what and how you want to take up space is like, I mean, you got it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Your gift with words and to create those conversations and to present stuff, it's amazing. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for your time today. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. This is yeah. really fun. Thanks for inviting me. There's something about the guest, and I know I know the guest from different seasons of my life that just feels so powerful there's a depth and a brilliance that just kind of flows out and just lands and it kind of silently changes your world yes. and I really respect the guest um and I was thinking about this often but I think they're brilliant. I think he's brilliant. But I also think you acquire that kind of knowledge by a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. And to be a Black, queer, trans person, you're going to know a lot about how the world functions and how mm -hmm. good it can be, but also how painful it can be. Yes. And sometimes pain is a is an amazing teacher, but also then to give credit to the pain that just forged such brilliance and depth and insight and beauty. Yes. Um, you know, I'm a therapist and by no means am I the Maharaja or the wise sage of the world, but our guest always teaches me something, always. Mm -hmm. um, and they're more than 10 years younger than me and <laughs> i just love love being with him yeah i agree i um had such a similar experience and um it's kind of interesting it's the first time i met our guest um but i can validate and say that that concept right of invitational power of of power that um comes from a very deep place that invites people 
to engage and to think and to examine in a way that um, could be, you know, very transformational, right? It's non-shaming, which I think is really important, and especially nowadays. I think um, there's a way to influence and invite people into introspection, into change, um, without shaming. And our guest, I feel like, really embodies that, um, which I just really appreciated and admired and really enjoyed witnessing and and just dialoguing and um and you're right i think that there's a way in which um our guest has had to really fight you know in the world to to stay as anchored as they are and through that really does provide a sense of oh okay here i am i'm like in this moment now right i feel more anchored in the conversation i feel more anchored by their presence and it's just going to be um i guess really neat to see how that continues to unfold mm -hmm. as they continue to take up space and step into the world more and more um especially after you know their training i mean they're already doing it but it's mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be a force to be reckoned with in the most beautiful way mm -hmm. Yeah, I really resonate with that shame piece that you mentioned, like really calling out shame without shaming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, he even did it for me. Yeah. I was thinking about this and I brought up this, you know, this insecurity of mine around clothing and the mm -hmm. vanity of it. And just very gently, he said, you know, I don't want to shame the clothing of any person. I'm not quoting him directly, but um, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, Isaac. <laughs> that's shame <laughs> i was like oh yeah thank you you're right that is coming from a shame based part of me you know and it's been a lesson that i've learned before but i had to be reminded one more time to say how i choose to express myself isn't vain it's authenticity that's right um, and i shouldn't feel sorry for needing to be authentic mm -hmm. um, and it, it was just so sweet the way he delivered it and just kind of called me out without calling me out <laughs> but again i just feel like there's so much to learn from someone who has been taught by pain because it not only teaches us to find our pain mm -hmm. but also to say i'm in some ways the culprit i might be mm -hmm. creating pain, whether out of my own shame or out of my naivety or mm -hmm. my privilege Mm-hmm. That's right. And I think mm -hmm. um, kind of even that piece that you shared, even in the episode, um, I felt the same way. And I think it's an interesting thing when, when we do speak with a sense of, um, you know, authority, but that's not condemning. It then creates, again, that invitation, like what you talked about with shame, where if somebody were to if to speak to you about um, vanity from kind of their own shame or condemnation because they hadn't reconciled what it is or or something like that, it just would have caused more, right? Um, and it would have for me too. But there's a way in which it's like, no, like I'm not going to call it vain. That kind of um, invited parting ways, right? That's what happens, like when we engage pain and and gain freedom. 
then we also are, invi are inviting other people into gaining freedom too. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a fine line. It's an interesting thing, right? Because um, something that I've always thought about, uh, and I, I did this a lot more when I was in my clinical training, was the concept of iron sharpening iron, right? And um, as a therapist, it's a fascinating process when you're going through training because you're trying to figure out how do I help people, but also how do I form a bond and an alliance so that way they know they can trust me. And how do I do that in a way that's authentic? But then also, how do I deal with all of my own insecurities when I'm especially new into something? And it just gave me um, just a really, a really important time of examination where it's like, okay, if somebody is coming to me, they're coming to me um, as a therapist for, uh, for honesty and for feedback um, that is administered in a way that's so deeply caring. Um, but if I'm not gonna be iron, there's no sharpening that'll happen. Like mm -hmm. if I basically kind of fall away and I don't say anything that's contrary to what mm -hmm. the belief system might be, or if I don't point certain things out, right, in a very kind um, and, and gentle way, then change won't occur, right? Um, and I think the beautiful thing that happens though is that that goes both ways, right? because then that sharpens me as a person. And I think that was just an example of, um, I'm not going to try to say what, the like the direction the conversation is going, I'm gonna say what I think. And then that created sort of this sharpening mm -hmm. effect that was really um, potent. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's just a really cool way to um, model, right? How we can be in the world with one another because we can really help one another a lot. Um, by kind of sharpening those edges, but we, but we can do it in a way that's gentle mm -hmm. so that it actually invites that parting with, it, with mm -hmm. things that we don't need to hold on to. Mm -hmm. I love this. Like, you're giving me goosies, as J-Lo would say. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, things are happening over here. But, yeah. Um, part of me... The, the way that I, I've never thought of it this way until you said this, but iron sharpens iron and we have to show up as iron. And that takes me to kind of one of the things I love to say is that vulnerability breeds vulnerability. Exactly. And if I'm going to show up as iron, sometimes that means I'm going to do the sharpening, but it also means I might be the one being sharpened. And that requires vulnerability mm -hmm. to say, hey, I'm still struggling here. I don't quite understand my gender identity. Mm -hmm. um, can you teach me a little bit more, even if you're the guest on the podcast and I'm the therapist, like okay. I still need other humans and there's nothing more enlightened about me in every facet of life, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I love that. I love that. Thank you for that. Like, that's really, I'm going to carry that for a long time. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I really appreciate, um, you know, that, that, that piece, right, um, of really kind of an insight into the fact that, you know, as therapists, we're human too, and it creates this ripple effect, right, of, mm -hmm. um, you know, in order for us to invite vulnerability, we've had to be vulnerable ourselves, and in order for, you know, there to be this ability to compassionately you know, connect and or compassionately confront, we have to have been confronted, I think. Um, maybe not about the exact same topic, 
but um, in, in a very similar way. And so, yeah, it takes humility and vulnerability um, to kind of live live that way. And it's, it's nice when you encounter it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that also, um, if we show up as iron, that doesn't mean we're showing up as the hammer, you know? We're not here to try to kind of like crush people or, mm-hmm. or like put them, pulverize them down to dust, you know? And we also don't need to feel that way, right? We don't need to feel like we're going to be, um, you know, put down to dust if we mm-hmm. get um, brushed up against. But, um, but yeah, it just is really neat when we encounter people like our guests who embody that. I, it's always something I deeply admire and appreciate and take with me as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think we have the coolest job on the world because we're we're constantly iron. You know, we're either the ones sharpening or that's right. We're being sharpened by our clients to say like, oh my god, that client just taught me a lot about love, and I didn't know that love could be that deep. Yeah, exactly. But to see the love for their kiddos or the love for their partner or the love that they had for the person they're grieving, like whoa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is there? Anything that stood out for you as someone who identifies as gender non-binary mm-hmm. with our guest? You know, I think the thing that um, I always appreciate is being able to share about some common experiences. I think that is always a healing experience um, in life in general. It's that concept of we do need each other and we need people who are similar and walking in a similar way, but, um, you know, are doing so differently, obviously, um, in order to just kind of feel a little bit more connected to ourselves. There's sort of that both hand that comes from that. And I just, it's, it's always healing. It's healing to be able to just like openly talk about it and have a sense of like, oh, you get it. Um, and of course, not in a way that is uh, going to be, you know, from a lens of, conformity versus unity you know what I mean like there's a way in which I experience my gender that's going to be different than our guest for sure even though we both are under this like kind of umbrella term of non-binary and I think that's just kind of true as humans in general it's definitely true within the queer community I mean I think in some ways that's sometimes the hardest part right about coming out as you come out hoping to then fit in and then you find actually oh being being, you know, a lesbian is different for me than it is for this other person I know who identifies as lesbian, or being transgender is different for me than somebody else I know. Um, But there's going to be threads that connect us. And so I think what stood out to me was just, um, you know, the threads that connect us. And um, I just loved, you know, the insights, um, you know, that they shared and, um, and just the ability to kind of feel like, okay, we get to just talk about this for a little while. Mm-hmm. Something that's not talked about very often. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think that's refreshing. So it, it's yeah. just something to inspire, hopefully, our listeners as well that, you know, find people that you can talk about it with. Mm-hmm. Whatever sure. it is. Yeah. Yes. To today's guest, thank you that I just carry so much gratitude and love for you and um i can't wait to see all that you do absolutely such a joy 
Queer Relationships is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I Am Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic.